You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Hi there, welcome to the show. Great to be back. It's Monday, April the 3rd. Thanks to Tom and Charlotte for all their hard work last week. It's a bright, sunny morning here in TW11. That's what you really wanted to know. Spring finally seems to be in the air and you have to have eyes everywhere uh, this time of year, whether it's UK Ireland or further afield, whether it's on the flat or over jumps. With the latter in mind, we're only 11 or 12 days away from the Randox Grand National. Could there be fewer than 40 runners discussing that with someone who hopes uh, that that is the case, Fergal O'Brien, a little bit later on in the show? That used to be, or perhaps still is, if you're interested in that rare punting double, the second leg of the spring double, the first leg of which took place on Saturday. That was the Lincoln at Doncaster in front of a good crowd with good prize money. Victory went to the David Menuisier train migration. Good training performance, an even better ride from Benoit de la Sayette. Still an apprentice, let's hope his career progresses more smoothly than it did following his first success in this race two years ago. And even that good story was eclipsed by the success in the Brocklesby of Doddy's Impact, ridden by another young star in Billy Lochnan, much discussed already on this podcast, and Doddy's Impact paying homage to the late, great Doddy Weir, the sports star who lost his life to motor neurone disease. Migration, Doddy's Impact, a good start to the flat season in the UK, but in terms of significance for what's to come during the course of the season, it was a weekend about putting yourself on the classic map. Forte continued to show just how strong, tough, gutsy and classy he was with a win over the very promising mage in the Florida Derby. This side of the Atlantic, it was business as usual for trainer Aidan O'Brien as he took both classic trials at Leopardstown, but he couldn't take the Ballysack Stakes, the recognised starting point for horses in their derby season. That went to White Birch, trained by John Joseph Murphy, whose son George joins me later in the programme. But perhaps these are all skirmishes ahead of the more significant battles to come. Certainly, if there's a cult everyone's looking forward to seeing in the three-year-old division, it's Auguste Rodin, trained by Aidan O'Brien. But if there's a filly, there's no doubt it's Tahira, who was so brilliant when lowering the colours of Meditate in the Moigler last year. So what is it for Tahira? English, French, Irish, Guineas? Who knows? Well, the man who does is Dermot Weld, and I spoke to him earlier this morning. This is what he had to say about how Tahira's getting on. Yeah, I'm very satisfied with her. She wintered well, as you know, with a very dry February, very wet March, so I've taken my time with her. But I'm satisfied. We've made no decision yet which guineas she may start off. It may be the Irish guineas, French guineas, the English guineas, but no decision will be made till later in the month. Depends on how she's working. Okay. So it's not a, it's not a question of track or ground or... or... No, no, it's just a filly. You know, some fillies come early in the season, some fillies take it a bit longer. And is there? Do you have a do you have a personal preference in terms of a race that you think confers uh, prestige, or do you think it really doesn't matter? No, as, as I said to you, it's not a question of which. It's a question of the filly herself. She'll tell me when she's ready. The horses grow their winter coat in the winter time, and the springtime they shed it, and some shed it quicker than others. And then, if you get a nice mild spring, obviously it happens quicker. If you get a wet, damp spring and cold weather, obviously they hold on to their colts a little bit longer. And 
always with Phillies, then the performance is affected. It's nature. Just looking deeper into the season with with her and 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 beyond the Guineas, do you see her as a as a filly who is an out and out miler? No, I think she could well go ten furlongs. There's no reason. Tarnow got a mile and a half. You know, she won the Vermaid, the Breeders' Cup. Uh, she got a mile and a half, and there's I don't know, but I'd say this filly is more pace. So we'd be very happy with a mile for the moment. So when she works, she works like a faster filly than Tarnow did. She does. And Dermot, last year's classic winner, Homeless Songs, she was so impressive in the Irish Guineas last year. You've got her engaged at Leopardstown this week. Is the plan to, is the plan to run on Wednesday? Homeless Songs as well, as I said. Uh, she runs Wednesday. Just hope the ground isn't too testing at Leopardstown. As you know, it was very, very heavy rain. But um, she's well and she runs all been well. Dermot, well, they're straight to the point. It'll either be English, Irish or French for Tahira, but not not going to commit at this stage. Lee Mottishead, senior writer from the Racing Post, is with me now. And Lee, really, what we get from that is is hold hold fire if you're thinking of if you're thinking of backing her now because you're not quite sure which race she's she's going to run in. And indeed, some interesting co- comments about uh, stamina, um, particularly if you're if you're thinking about getting involved for say the Oaks. Yeah, I think realistically, if you are thinking of doing that, Nick, you have to hold fire because certainly there was no encouragement from Dermot World there in any one particular direction. Um, it would be perfectly understandable if a punter was very keen to back Tyria now for the 1,000 guineas. I was looking again this morning at her performance in the Moyglair stud stakes and reminded of the real brilliance she showed there. She gave Meditate two, three lengths, um, half at the home straight, and she she ate into that margin very quickly indeed. And when you bear in mind that Meditate is the only other filly um, at single-figure odds in the 1,000 guineas betting, it's clear to the extent to which that single piece of form and those two Irish-trained fillies dominate the 1,000 guineas market. But for all that Taria was wildly impressive and for all that meditate then Frank the form particularly at the Breeders' Cup it's very hard to see how you can back Taria for the Guineas at this stage and also when you bear in mind that Dermot Well does have previous on this relatively recent previous too because we all remember uh, going into last year's 1000 Guineas that Homeless Songs was one of the most, one of the most talked about fillies for that race which was very prominent in the market and it was only in Guineas week that Dermot Wells surprised a lot of people by uh, taking away from the uh, the 1,000 guineas because he didn't feel Newmarket was the right track for her at that time. So I think with that in mind as well, for all that Taria looks the one that many people will want to back for the guineas, at this stage, you probably can't. Now, as I mentioned, Aidan O'Brien won both the 1,000 and 2,000 guineas trials yesterday at Leopardstown with never-ending story and Hans Anderson, respectively. He couldn't, however, win the Ballysack stakes with the odds-on favourite Alexandropoulos. That went the way of White Birch, trained in County Cork by John Joseph Murphy, formerly uh, best known for his handling of the champion chase winner, New Mill. His son, George, spoke to me earlier and this is what he had to say about a success that was a surprise to some, but perhaps not to them. No, look, obviously you don't go into a race like that expecting you're going to win, but we were we were very excited um, about what he might do. Um, Shane had ridden him in, in his last couple of pieces of work and he, he seemed to really like him and 
and um, we were we were we were hopeful that that he'd uh, produce what, what we thought he could do. So we're we're delighted. And obviously, people look at the look at the race and they'll see heavy ground, mile and a quarter, early season form. You know, the horses like this just just fall in in a way. But it was the way he travelled that that really struck me. It didn't look like there was ever going to be another winner of the race. No, I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't think you could knock the ground for him because he's he showed a lot of pace over seven um, in Dundalk, which is quite a a quick surface so and the way he travelled around there he, he, he did it very easy and uh, quickened up well which is quite difficult to do on that ground I think um, and got a, got a good bump a furlong or a furlong and a half down and he, he showed great resilience and, and, and honesty the way he, he stretched to the line and yeah, he's a horse who's been consistently underestimated by the market in in his three starts how do you play it from here because as you say he didn't look short of pace um, he's got um, no no entries at this stage. What what what's in your mind? Um, well, obviously we'll we'll have to have a a proper chat with the owner about um, potentially Derby entries, which I think is is probably more than entitled to now. But as you said, he's he's got an awful lot of pace. Um, so <clears throat> clearly, a mile and a quarter is no issue. I don't think a mile and a half will be, but um, I don't. I, I really don't think a mile would be either. He, he looks a, a, a very good horse. So, is, is there a possibility you might you might try and slide him late into a into a Guineas or an Irish Guineas? It, it's it's absolutely a possibility. Um, I, I I would obviously have to to speak to the owners and. Uh, and see what what sort of a path they'd like to take from here. They were they were very good to 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 buy him and and to ultimately keep him in the yard. So so obviously they'll they'll have a, a huge say in where he goes next. So but I I think it would absolutely be an option. Yeah. And for the yard as a whole, how's the how's the mood this morning? What level of excitement have we have we reached? Oh, it's brilliant! It's brilliant. We've we've a, a small team here, but a, a great team and. Uh, and they're delighted. We d- we don't often have a horse of this caliber, so it's it's brilliant. Everyone's delighted. It's great. A uh, George Murphy, there, son of John Joseph Murphy, the trainer of White Birch, and uh, heavily responsible for that horse's um, supervision. He was pretty impressively as well. Yeah, he was. I mean, there didn't look to be any fluke about it. You know, you you see a horse win a race like that at twenty two to one beating the the big stables and you think was there a fluke about it but there didn't appear to be in many ways he didn't have an ideal passage uh through the race but he was still well on top towards the end uh it's great to hear that connections are thinking bold to be fair they were talking bold before the race as well if you look at the preview quotes they were making clear they had very high hopes for the horse uh, his victory at dundalk had suggested he was a quality animal and at this stage, if you were saying, is this a horse, particularly for the Derby, is he a Derby contender? You would have to say yes. I wouldn't be um, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they, they do um, go that sort of direction. As a yard, it's a, it's a name I associate still most with that great two-mile chase at Newmill, as opposed to 
classic horses, but they show with Numa what they can do. What? Why shouldn't they do it with with this horse? I wouldn't give up on Andro Alexandropoulos either. Um, Nick, we, we know the extent to which Ballydor three-year-olds very often improve as the year goes on. It's one of those stables where you don't really, you shouldn't be too downheartened by by defeat. Um, those horses from Ballydor often get beat a couple of times and then progress. And I thought overall it was a good day for the, the, the top yard yesterday. I, I was really taken by both winners of the the Guineas Trials, Never Ending Story and Hans Anderson, particularly because they are the very sexiest members of what looks at a hugely strong three-year-old crop. And I thought they're both horses that, that you'd imagine would progress again through uh, the season. Reading Aidan's um, uh, stable tour in the post today, it doesn't sound as though he's thinking about a new market for those two horses, maybe the, the Guineas in, in Ireland and France. But again, I, th I think it wouldn't be at all surprised if they become Group 1 winners before the season is out. All right, Grand National News. We're not too far away. And the yeah, the key question today is how many runners are there going to be? Because there were just 57 left in at the latest forfeit stage. We've had two scratching since then. Venetia Williams' mare, Quick Wave, has been scratched. Captain Kangaroo, Willie Mullins' uh, horse has been scratched as well. So we're down to 55. Our power is now guaranteed a run, uh, as is Eva's Oscar, but you knew that anyway. Not only that... Um, could there be fewer than 40 runners in the race? Well, down at 55 is Captain Catterstock. So he's effectively 53 now. And I suggested to his trainer, Fergal O'Brien, that unexpectedly he might be looking at a Grand National runner. And would he run if if indeed he did get into the race? Yeah, 100%, Nick. Um, yeah, we'd love to run. It's uh, Nick Brereton who owns Captain Cavasock. It's been his dream to, to have a runner in the Grand National. He'd love to be there on the day just having a runner. So, um, yeah, and look, I think I, I think the sort of race could suit Captain because they'll, they'll, they'll go furious pace and he'll just love hunting around and he'll think he'll love the fences. We're actually, we're, we're going to prepare. We're going to take him to Lambourne tomorrow with Sir Jack Yates, who my daughter rides in the Fox Hunters. We're going to take him both to Lambourne tomorrow to jump the, the entry fence fences at Lambourne so we're going to we're going to keep everything crossed and, and hope that we can get in bit of positive thinking and we're hoping we'll get us in there well he's a bit of a throwback isn't he because he'd be out the handicap a bit he's only 132 he's, he's sort of running those regional nationals and no trip is too far for him that sort of reminds me of horses that used to run in the Grand National in the in the 80s and early 90s yeah, and look, it just goes to show 132. I think Alvarado was placed twice in it, um, carrying 10 stone two off of 132 and 130. So it shows how how the the national has improved, and and those the sort of those days when the two and a half miler was probably what you wanted because they hacked for a little bit, and you know those days are sort of slightly gone a bit. But um, yeah, look, I think he'll he'd love it around there. Um, yeah, and I, I just think he, he, he he's made for it. He, he looks like a national horse. You know, he looks like a, a proper out-and-out stare, and uh, he loves jumping, so fingers crossed. Yeah, one of those sort of horses that no one's going to mind riding either. Um, Fern, your daughter, is going to ride Sir Jack Yates in the Fox Hunters. That's going to be, that's. I'm not going to say exciting, nerve-wracking, terrifying. I don't know what for you. No, exciting. You know, I'm more worried. She passed a driving test about two months ago. I'm more worried about well, that's driving. That's far more dangerous, yeah. <laughs> than a ride. No, because I know what it means to her. You know, the day that she that was second at Kelso, that, that she qualified for the thing, she, it was like she rode a winner, you know. She's so excited. And, you know, to, to be able to, to, to give her that opportunity is, you know, we're all really, really looking forward to it. Fergal O'Brien there, Lee Mottis said still with me. Lee, the, the interesting thing to note there is that Fergal pointed out that Alvarado, who he was placed in the Grand National with a couple of times, actually ran off 
off the same mark as Captain Catastock, 132. So it does show you how far the race has come in terms of quality anyway, at least on ratings. Yeah, it does. And it shows you that this is a bit of a reversal year in that sense, Nick. Um, we are down on, on numbers. Uh, it's not impossible that we will have horses running from out of the handicap, which has been very unusual uh, in recent years. And it is a it's a concerning looking uh, season this season. You 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 don't want to be uh, what are we now? Twelve days out from the Grand National with only fifty five potential runners, um, and almost a quarter of the horses still in the race are trained by Gordon Elliott. Um, bearing in mind, a number of those will also be considered possible runners at this stage for the Irish Grand National a week today. Gordon Elliott will clearly have a significant influence on how many of how many horses go in in the race. You wouldn't have thought many would do the Fairy House entry double well, they have in the past, yeah. but and, there's only five that, days this year, aren't there? Yeah, you can bet your bottom dollar that 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 the the veterinary officials and the screening team will be very very keen-eyed on horses trying to do both races. I would have thought. Yeah, and given, given the fact that you're already be having to send in you know a video footage of horses trotting up and you know preliminary examinations will have taken place i i'd be i'd be surprised if there were too many who attempted to do both races i would be surprised as well nick and i think that there will be uh gentle encouragement towards trainers or uh, there won't be many trainers in this position that they would have to be very very confident it was the right thing to even think about in in the first place um, other little fact to think of the minute, looking at where we are now. So, as you said, our power gets into the race now. And some eagle-eyed readers might say, well, he's actually, there are three horses on, on that 10 stone uh, mark. But our power has won a, a big handicap at Kempton's end. So he will become the top of those. So he he will be guaranteed a place in the field. But even allowing for that, that means there are, I think, 11 British trained horses at this stage guaranteed a run if their trainers end up confirming uh, confirming them in the race that's not a not a huge number when we're not in a situation we're not going back to you know 1996 when 27 horses lined up in rough quest um grand national and it might well be that this is a a one-off year that there are various factors as to why we we have so few horses in the race but it's certainly the case that if you're a representative of the jockey club or entry you would be hoping that in 12 months time we're in a slightly rosier position as we go towards the Grand National. All that said, we could yet have a magnificent contest. Um, there are any number of strong potential stories in the race, and I am still extremely excited about what is to come. Yeah, I rather hope Cam Captain Catterstock gets in with an entry hat on. I hope he gets in as number 40. Now, there's been some disquiet over the weekend about the discontinuing of the racecourse badge scheme, which was run by the Racehorse Owners Association for their members in conjunction with the Racecourse Association, the RCA. Now, a number of you got in touch to say that a benefit, a key benefit of membership of the ROA, with whom we work closely on this podcast, had been removed. And clearly, we wanted to seek clarity because the initial communications were uh, far from clear as to what you were and were weren't entitled to all right well i'm joined now by louise norman who's the head of ownership at the racehorse owners association louise some confusion over the weekend as to what owners can or cannot access uh, as part of their 
members benefits of the Racehorse Owners Association when it comes to to going racing without charge. Uh, what can owners access now? Owners can now access the, the badge scheme that's directly held between the ROA and the racecourses. So they have direct access to that through their members area or in relation to contacting us directly to arrange any um, additional badges that are required. We have simply changed, we've kept the badge scheme, we've kept the benefit, we have simply changed the direction in which we, we confirm that and use that scheme and create a relationship between the owners and the racecourses. So just to clarify, there's no longer a, a pass card that gives you automatic admission if you are a registered owner to all the race courses. There are now several different deals uh, struck between the Race Horse Owners Association and the individual race courses or race course groups. And you have to pre-book, you have to pre-register rather than simply using your one-stop shop card that everyone loved and enjoyed for many years. Um, we have the pre-book scheme now in place. And yes, the pass card was operated under the RCA agreement. Um, we, we don't have access to that. That is an RCA card. Um, and that's where we will evolve the offering, the direct booking, and also build out the walk-ups. It is clear, you know, that we have that scheme in place and that is still a benefit to the owners. They can still go racing when they want to go racing without a runner. Uh, with 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 no charge often for for that one badge and in the case of some race courses sometimes for a couple of badges now not every race course is participating in your new scheme so at the moment you don't have signups from goodwood chester bangor york just to name four if you want to go to the chester may meeting uh, as a registered owner uh, you don't know what the the concessions are because they're not on your website there isn't a, a deal struck um does that mean tough luck you can't get what you got before or is there a way around that no not at all it's a contact to our team and we're liaising with those courses that aren't currently listed in order to build out and and look at what that offer looks like going forward but we can arrange those badges directly as we have done this weekend for Ludlow today um, and obviously Stratford at the weekends etc so there there is options that you can contact the team directly and they will be able to facilitate that that application on your behalf. Okay, so at any race course in the country, but barring the exemptions that were already there, for example, Royal Ascot and Glorious Goodwood and York Ebor and some of those big festivals where the the old badge scheme was 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 exempt anyway, um, you you can now guarantee to all your members, even those who don't own any part of a of a racehorse, which is about you know eleven hundred of your seven thousand membership base that they can use the existing scheme, not the badge scheme that's now been disbanded. They can use the existing scheme to, to go racing free of charge. You can, you, you can guarantee that. We can guarantee that because we've got a direct relation with the course. And, you know, we've got to very much explain that this wasn't a free benefit. This was something that the ROA paid for. And ultimately now that redirection has been that we will have the relationship with the race courses and the race courses will create the booking and the opportunity for our members to go racing at their request at the fixtures and meetings that they require, for which we will liaise with the courses and deal with the costs. 
obviously what what is different as regards this scheme is that the the race courses it seems to me are putting in far more conditions so for example jockey club race courses it's a maximum of 30 badges per member per year and ask it there's a whole list of complicated conditions that um only guarantee you admission to uh, one of the the lesser enclosures to what extent will the ROA now apply pressure to all the courses to try and get the best possible access to members of the ROA on a on a more regular basis these are the conversations that we are having at the moment it's about creating a direct link between our owners and the race courses knowing exactly what that owner needs and requires putting them at the forefront and working with the courses to build that narrative Essentially, across the industry, we don't know enough about our customers um, and we need to bring that in-house in order to work with the courses and create that direct relationship. And if that means building out offers that uh, uh, will expand the engagement um, that we've seen from the insights across our previous schemes in order to really focus on, an, you know, this is a huge engaged audience and investor in racing. And only 17% of that audience we're utilising is under the previous arrangements. This is about expanding that offering, working with the race courses and creating the benefit that is about putting the customer, it's about putting the owner at the heart of this and giving them the solution. Yeah, not and not just the owner, clearly, who are investing enormous amounts in, in British racing, but, but all our ROA members. You, you've got many members that actually aren't, aren't owners at the moment though they 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 might be is there not a case that really the roa should be just as much of a, a conduit to ownership as it is a benefit for existing owners under a scheme such as this exactly and that's the part of it you know we we, we spend a huge amount of marketing and promotion on getting people to the race course and we actually have that audience. We, we are engaged with that audience on a daily basis. And therefore, by changing, you know, resetting the dial, looking at the mechanisms of how the schemes have worked historically, and not just ticking a box and conforming and moving forward, is how do we make this better? And if we can engage with an audience that can then transfer through the shared ownership work that's being undertaken into an ownership proposition, well, that's a fantastic opportunity and we need those insights. We need to know where, you know, an interest in racing begins and what that owner's journey looks like. And the ROA, you know, the ROA offering and membership services is key to, to creating that. And as you say, that conduit between, in, you know, interest and engagement to actual ownership of the future. Uh, Louise, it's fair to say this hasn't been a communications triumph, has it? Um, you, you've tried to rectify that over the weekend, but can you understand why members are confused? Yes, completely understand. And we recognise that that communication could have been clearer. And we do apologise to our to our owners and, and members on, on that part of it. Um, and definitely is something that we are working on to ensure that we push on with that. But and we do recognise that. Yeah, and you can understand why Why the first instinct is, look, I had my simple card for years. It was great. It worked well for me. I no longer have this. Now I have to do I have to do more work myself to, to enact this scheme. You, you can understand why that's the first visceral response from, from a broad uh, base of your membership. Yeah, we can understand that and the frustrations. And quite simply, 
um, it, it's a service, it's a, it's a benefit that's on offer alongside our discounts, our tote sponsorship, our third party liability, all recognised as essential benefits across our, our ownership base. And um, we do recognise that actually it could have been a, a lot easily, you know, a better communicated. Um, and we could have got the point across that whilst one was ceasing, actually the initial, the continuation of benefits we would ensure was seamless from a, from our members' perspective. Yeah. So albeit that the working has been clunky, the end result will be, will be broadly, broadly similar. Um, the, the other question that's been asked quite a bit and certainly my my inbox has suggested the case is um why that there wasn't a consultation period or why nobody knew about this until the until the initial original badge scheme was switched off yeah our expiry agreement with the with the third party ended on the 31st of march um there have been many conversations at board level discussing the effectiveness um, and the accessibility and utilisation across this. So it has been a conversation across board and our board members are elected um, to represent owners uh, on an annual basis and they come onto the board and those discussions are had. Um, Louise, thanks very much for your time today. Um, appreciate it. Just a reminder that those who are um, ROA members, if they can't see on your website, a way of reserving tickets to a fixture that they want to go to to get in touch with you directly, yes? Yes, please. Please do contact us and we will keep evolving this. We have the ability. This is the beginning of the changes and um, any queries, please contact us directly. All right, that was Louise Norman, Head of Ownership for the Race or Sound Association, conceding um, that there have been communications uh, shortcomings uh, in, in this process. Um, I guess... I guess what will be judged now is what owners experience when they go to the race courses under the scheme that remains in place. I think the social media response to the initial ROA communication um, reflected the fact that there were prominent members, prominent members of the organisation who thought this was seriously bad news. The fact it wasn't anywhere near as bad news as they believed it to be underlines that this was really unimpressive uh, work from the ROA in putting the message out there. They've reflected uh, that now in what Luis has said to you this morning. But as you say, going forward, what will be key is how um, is, is the, the response that ROA members get uh, from from race courses when they wish to go racing um, the offer is different across different race courses and race course groups um, that might cause issues at some point for for members one thing I, I would just say is that um, we both were very fortunate Nick we, we go racing around the world to different jurisdictions and it's often interesting to see that Things that we consider to be the norm here for owners aren't necessarily the norm elsewhere. Now, there's no doubt that international owners often get a better deal than ours do, certainly in terms of potential prize money and financial reward. But equally, I've been racing in places like uh, Australia and Japan, where certainly owners in some ways don't get treated as well as ours do in terms of things like racecourse offerings. So if you go... Uh, racing as an owner to a JRA track in, in Japan, you certainly won't be uh, 
um, offered loads of free badges or a free lunch. The same, I believe, is true in a lot of Australian um, race courses that you, 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 if you want to have lunch, well, you, you have to pay for it yourself or the trainer buys you lunch. So it's different according to, to where you go. But certainly the ability to go racing as an owner or as an ROA member, not all of whom are owners by any means, that has always been a big part of the attraction um, of the whole endeavour. And it will be very interesting to see how that pans out for ROA members over the coming months. Yeah. And if if the ROA are trying, as they suggest, as Louise suggested there, to foster stronger relationships with individual race courses to try and cater better for the needs of their membership, then I would suggest that a minimum that the, the race courses should, should be prepared to offer under this scheme, at least to registered owners, if not to all members, is is a, a premium access. I'm not talking about a luxury experience, but a premier enclosure badge. I mean, there are enough days that are exempted here. Nobody's expecting that for Royal Ascot, Goodwood, Cheltenham, Aintree, etc. But let's face it, in the face of declining attendance, um, it's not as though these race courses are going to be um, packed to the rafters on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays during the, the meet of the season. And as a as a gesture of goodwill, I think if you are going to offer a badge, it should be at least in the Premier Enclosure and not in the Grandstand. And I don't see why all the racecourses can't commit to that. Yeah, I think there's logic in that, Nick. Um, I know if racecourses, I've often put a, an argument for, for example, against uh, free race days because they say it's not a guarantee that people walk through the door for free and then spend lots of money when they're on the race course however you would imagine that if you are financially able to own some or all of a racehorse or even if you're prepared to spend the money on an roa membership that you would be uh, more able more likely to spend money once you are through the doors and we know the extent to which race courses are cash strap bodies at the moment, understandably, they face the same financial difficulties that many of us face in our own daily lives at the moment. And if you can encourage someone to go through the door, maybe wave them through, but then hope that they'll spend some money on food and drink once inside the race course, then you'd imagine they win as a result of that. And also it helps, as you say, just in the, the, the pure fact of boosting the numbers, the, the optics of falling attendances are not good for race courses. I wouldn't have thought we're just things like trying to attract sponsors. Uh, to race courses the more people you can have on the site the better so uh, yeah I, I would agree with you nick i would hope that race courses respond at the moment in the right way and see the bigger picture and i'm sure they are away will have learned from a, a difficult weekend for the organization well all that aside you can enjoy the benefits of owning a, a, a horse in britain from across the other side of the world the winnie you can hear is the Easter sale down under where I'm joined by Channel 7's Jason Richardson, who was uh, part of a 38-person uh, team who owned yesterday's runaway Doncaster winner Gorak with Charlie Fellows. So bringing the two continents together as always, Richo, I'm guessing that gave you a lot of pleasure yesterday, watching on from afar. It was 1.30 in the morning uh, in Sydney time, Nick. Great to, great to join you, mate. I'm here at the, uh, the English-Australian Easter yearling sales. We've already had $13 million lots go through the ring. So who says that the economy's uh, tested at the moment? Uh, it's quite extraordinary, but some unbelievable horse flesh. And once again, we've seen 
Uh, Group 1 winning mares have been really popular out of some great stallions like I Am Invincible and uh, Snitzel and, and Justify has been popular yet again here. But that's an aside. Yeah, so 1.30 in the morning, um, Australian time, uh, the mighty Gorak, who... Charlie Fellows is a good mate of mine. Uh, was able to purchase at the uh, at the tried sales. We've been having a few little runs to get fit uh, on the uh, on the all weather. Um, he's been trying his butt out, but hasn't probably been suited in the all weather. Got to uh, testing ground at uh, Doncaster, and uh, there were screams from down in Australia because uh, they put up about eight or nine dollars here in in Australia, and uh, he was well supported. And uh, he won comfortably, which was fantastic. Now, this is just a little tester. We're not expecting uh, him to be a, a Group 1 horse or a Group horse or anything like that. He's just a, he's just a little handicapper. We're having a bit of fun. And it's remarkable that all my uh, mates are, are all involved in it. So, I, you know, I just rang around a few and suddenly we've got... Uh, 39 of us in total that all uh, put in not a lot of money but uh, purchased a horse and uh, we love the updates we get from Charlie and everyone would probably use as an excuse if we can to get over to Europe at some stage and uh, go and watch him. That'd be the fun of it. We're not doing it for the prize money because the prize money is significantly better here in Australia, but it's just something a bit different. Uh, something very serious happening uh, the weekend. Animo taking on uh, William Haggis's Dubai Honor. Haggis trying to take Australia by storm again and and succeeding. H- how much how much is that sort of enlivened people's interest in the in in the Group Ones? Uh, Haggis having a good squad of horses out there. Oh, I've got to say, mate, it has really captured the imagination because um, we've got a, a legitimate contender to Animo. To put it into perspective, Animo has a as a nine-time Group 1 winner. He's the most successful Group 1 winning horse in Godolphin's racing history. Animo is to go to race uh, in Europe and race at Royal Ascot, and you think the Queen Anne would be the race that they would target. So 2,000 metres testing ground at Ramwe because we've had a bit of rain around um, up against Dubai Honor. I know some of your audience would be, well, he's only a legitimate Group 2 horse when in Europe, but now that he's been gelded, I think he's really furnished here in Australia, and William Haggis has done that with the day of Tom Marquand will jump on board. So the comparisons with the Dayab are certainly there. And Tom's saying, hey, this guy's uh, he's as nippy as a Dayab. Don't worry about that. So we love the battle between a Dayab and Very Elegant. We're going to see it now with Dubai Honor up against Animo. And then you'll throw in a little... A little wild card will be thrown into the mix when you consider Unicorn Lion, the uh, the Japanese horse with uh, Yoshida Yahagi travelling a couple of horses out for the championships out here in Australia as well. So this big autumn carnival keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's uh, very international. Cleveland will be a short price favourite in the Sydney Cup, which is worth $3 million uh, up against the likes of, uh, of Gear Up or Gear Up may run in, in um, the 2000 metre Queen Elizabeth so that's going to be really interesting to watch all the various uh, all the various gallopers from all around the world uh, on wet ground I think I think it's fair to say it'll be wet ground by the time we get to Saturday Alright that was Jason Richardson um, covering all sorts there syndicate ownership ownership between the two countries sales prices going through the roof in Australia an excellent action at Randwick this weekend Lee which is where we should stop off I think Animo against Dubai Honor is Dubai Honor going to continue the haggis run down under and uh, bring to an end uh, the winning spree of one of Australia's well arguably Australia's best horse yeah um 
Animo uh, horse who could still go to to Royal Ascot. He'll be signing off from Australian Racing on Saturday, but Godolphin have sounded keen to bring him across to Ascot for the Queen Anne Stakes. Um, he's still not really produced um, for me a um, a superlative performance. He's a winning machine, but on the bare figures, you wouldn't say he's anywhere near an all time great of Australian racing yet, but clearly a very, very smart horse. Um, he will face a serious rival on Saturday in Dubai Honour. And certainly if we get conditions at Ramwick on Saturday, similar to those that we had on Saturday, one would imagine they would play more to Dubai Honour than to, to Animo. It was really heavy ground there on Saturday. They've had, I think, 100 mils over the last two or three days. Um, in Sydney there, the rain is due to forecast to continue until midweek. At that point, it dries up, and with warm weather forecast, you might be looking at soft ground for Saturday. That sets it up for a, a fantastic contest. Tom Marquan back in the saddle on Dubai Honour as well. He'd be the one that I'd be favouring over Animo, although I'm sure Ascot would love to see Animo win to get him across to the Royal Meeting. And also, um, Nick Cleveland looks like starting favourite for the Sydney Cup uh, on Saturday as well for Joseph O'Brien. So a big day for European stables and a cracking day, fantastic day, in fact, to get the day two of the championships at Ramwick on Saturday. And do you have a tip for today? I do, Nick. Uh, not this time, Ramwick. I'm going to Ludlow. Uh, three o'clock there, the Boyne Cup three-mile handicap steeplechase. Evan Williams has done well with Anne Sam. Good run at Kempton too, so let's go. Bit disappointing last time, but I think it's interesting he's run the horse under 12 stone too. And I think he could well just outclass his rivals in the three o'clock at Ludlow. So am Sam for me. Lee, thanks very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Monday, the 3rd of April. It's good to be back. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.